I'm real excited because we're starting a new series. I'm really excited about this series. We're starting a series about walking in the life of God. It's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. The zoe life of God is talked about so much in our, what we would call, I don't like the word camp, but I love the word stream. See, I believe what's going to happen is you have, you have all these different streams in the body of Christ. And I believe that where we are in history, these streams are going to start coming together and we're going to have, be a mighty river flowing into a mighty ocean where the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Boy, that feels very much coming out of my spirit like that's, that's the saith, saith the Lord kind of stuff. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But in our stream, we talk a lot about the life of God, right? And you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10, verse 10. If you can't find it just, and you've been coming here for a while, just drop your Bible. It'll probably open to John 10, 10. So you, you, we talk about the life of God a lot, However, I believe it, there's such a lack of knowledge and understanding of what the life of God is. And so I don't know how many weeks I get a sense that we're going to go for a while on this. Because the Lord wants to infuse strength into you. You know, the Bible says it's in him that we live and that we move and that we have our being and that we're to be strong in him. So let's take a look at this. We are going to start defining what the Zoe life of God is. We want to define that. You know, on Sunday, we kind of been defining faith. And uh, in that series, well, we're going to define the life of God. We're going to see some things that the life, some characteristics of the life of God that are amazing. So John chapter 10, in verse 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, right, and to kill, and to destroy. But then Jesus says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And this Greek word for life, there's actually four Greek words for life, okay? So this one is zoe. Zoe, it means literally the life of God, the quality of life that God has. So it, 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 it literally, as you break this down, you see that Satan comes to steal the word of God he comes to steal the word of God. How does he steal the word out of a person's heart? He can't get into your spirit to steal it. So what he does is he gets you to literally, the parable of the sower totally reveals this. He gets you, and James deals with this too about being a doer of the word. He gets you distracted so you start looking at natural things, which will cause you to doubt the word. And that's how he steals it. He makes you doubt it. And so 
He comes to steal the word. Why? Because if he can steal the word, now he separated you from faith and now he has an open door to come and you know, kill and destroy things in your life. Now, now think about that. In Christ, Satan is absolutely no match for you. No match. So that's why we want to live out of our spirit. We want to we not be moved by outward things, right? So this is the reason that Jesus came to this earth. I am come that they, that's talking about us, might have zoe life. And then, now, this is something that I can't even, I don't even know how to explain this. And that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus came to give me the life that God has, but he came to give me an overflowing more than enough portion of that life. You could actually translate that, that, that we might just have too much of it. Isn't that good news? Just too much life. Oh, Lord. Okay, come on. I, I just, it's just too much. You know, he's the God of too much. So if Jesus came to give you more than enough, a full and overflowing supply, too much of the life of God, if he came to do that, that means that tonight as you're sitting here, you have, you already have this. This is not something that grows. You have it. You've been given the very life of God. Wow. We're going to see later on that Jesus is going to explain that, be, that, that the miracles that he did, specifically the man that was healed in the pool of Bethesda, right? It's one of those healings that was not on the man's faith. It was just a gift of healing, working of a miracle. And Jesus was really clear why that happened. It was because his father had given him his life. It was the life of God in Jesus that caused that miracle. And it is the life of God in the spirits of believers that's going to usher in, I believe, the greatest revival that we're ever going to see. Signs, wonders, and miracles will be the norm. People will be rushing to churches because of it. And we won't be able to take any credit for it just in the same way that Jesus didn't take any credit for it. It's the life of God in us. I love that. He came to this earth as a man. He came legally into this earth realm to give you and I the God kind of life. I love that. Jesus is saying, I am come that you might have a different kind of life than you've ever experienced before. That's literally what he's saying here. So these four words that are used in the Greek language for life, the first one, I don't really know if I'm pronouncing it right. It would be Sichi or CK, I've heard, but it's P-S-Y-C-H-E. It literally means natural human life. That's all it means. 
Then there's the word bios, B-I-O-S. That literally means a manner of life or just behavior. Okay? Then there's anastrophe. Anastrophe is, is a Greek word that means a confused life or a confused manner of life or a confused behavior. And then there's zoe, which is translated the eternal life of God. Now, this is what we need to see, and we don't talk about this when we talk about zoe, but Jesus did not create. I mean, could you imagine? So here's Jesus living on the earth, and now by the Spirit of God, he's going to talk to us. So he needs a word in the language that he spoke, Aramaic or Greek, whatever. He needs a word to describe the life of God, which how do you describe that? Is zoe, is that a brand new word that he just created? No. That was a word that the Greek, it was, it was used in the Greek. It was in poetry. It was in different things. But Jesus used this word, right? See, think about it. It would do Jesus no good to invent a new word that no one would be able to know or understand. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do any good. But this was a Greek word that was used commonly and was understood in that culture. Okay? Jesus chose this word so people could understand the life of God. So as we go through this, as you look at what he says about the life of God, it's literally bringing a definition to this word, right? This word, though, zoe in the Greek culture did not carry, the best way to say this is it did not carry the same measure of meaning in the people's normal use and understanding than it did when Jesus started using the word to describe the life of God himself, okay? So the church, if we look at everything, what has the church majored in? We have majored in bios, manner of life. We've majored in manner of life, behavior. And, and that's why people are not laying hold of anything. Because we're so focused, if I do this, then God will do that. No, it doesn't work like that. You know, well, you know, I just need to... Be good enough. No, no. Your, your being good has nothing to do with you. It's all on Jesus. So this is, we got to get this right. We've majored on this bios, manner of life, rather than majoring on zoe, the eternal life of God. I can live holy before God because I, in my spirit, I have literally been given the very life of God. That's what enables me to walk holy, to be different in this world, to walk fearless in this world. It's the life of God. And Jesus came to give that to me and you. The New Testament, if you read through the New Testament, it never speaks of manner of life or behavior when it's talking about the God kind of life. It never brings up manner of life or behavior. Not one time. 
right? So why are we majoring in the church on bios, manner of life or behavior? It's because most Christians are focused on natural things. And they, they think that things are going great if they feel God. But boy, get it, don't, don't go there. Because it's not about feeling God. It's about believing him. Right? Because see, you could feel horrible and be, and be walking in great faith and be full of joy and be strengthened by God because you're not moved by outward things. You're moved by inward things. So what is the Zoe life of God? So this word in the New Testament, it literally, it consistently references eternal life. It references divine life, right? The very life of God, in other words, every time it is used in the New Testament. The word of God will say things like this, as the Father has, this is Jesus talking, has life in himself, he has given the Son to have life in himself. And then Jesus turns around and says to us, I have come that you might have life. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. So this is huge. John chapter 3, let's jump over there real quick. John chapter 3, verse 14. You'll get very excited about this because the life of God that is in you literally will cause you to be able to lay hold of everything that God has for you. John chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you remember that story in the Old Testament. Children of Israel are murmuring in the wilderness. Fiery serpents come into their camp. They're biting them. People are dying. Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord has him make a serpent on a staff. And if the people would peer and look at that, they would not die, and they, they, they'd be healed. It was a type. And, and that, what this is saying is as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, Jesus had to be lifted up. So he's talking about the crucifixion of Christ. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, this word believeth means to have faith in, whoever would have faith in him should not perish, but have everlasting zoe. This is the Greek word zoe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would have faith in his son would not perish but have everlasting Zoe life. Notice as we see this eternal life, the Zoe life of God is not something you're going to get when you go to heaven. 
It is something that you're given right now. Right now you have it. The moment you got born again. Very clear in the word of God. So you possess that right now. Right? Say this with me. I've been made the very righteousness of God in Christ. God, my Father, His life is my life. His life is, is in my spirit. My spirit is full of His life. That's, that's the reality in our lives here. Praise God. So, the Zoe life of God. Many believe incorrectly that we're going to have a greater measure of eternal life once we go to heaven that we have now, but you have no scriptures that say that. You won't have a greater measure of Zoe life that you have right now. Now, you might be more aware of the Zoe life that you have because you don't have this flesh, but you have it right now. The Zoe life of God. The Gospel of John, if we kind of take an aerial view of John, I mean, this guy had more revelation of the life of God than anyone else. It's amazing in his writings. The Gospel of John talks more about the life of God than any other book in the Bible. John talked more about what Jesus said about the life of God than any other gospel writer. So we could take heed. If you go to 1 John, 1 John was John's letter to the church that speaks of God, of the life of God, more than any other book in the whole New Testament. 1 John. That was a letter to the church. Now I know there's some teaching out there that says it wasn't written to the church, which is crazy. Just go there and read how many times it says we. Right? It's always, he, John's including himself. This was written to believers. And it talks more about the life of God than any other book in the Bible. In other words, John majored on the life of God. So we could learn a lot from him. Why did he do this? I have a feeling it has a lot to do with the timing of these books. John was the last apostle of the 12 to be alive, right? When he, wrote, when he wrote these writings, he was probably, they estimate, maybe mid-90s. He had walked with the Lord for decades and decades and decades. So it has to do with so much of the timing of this. The Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, were, were, and even Revelation, you could say the same thing, were written towards the end of John's life. John was the last of the New Testament writers. If you read the Gospel of John, it's really interesting. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like in the healings of Jesus, they'll tell the same story. But John, it's almost like he, the Lord had him fill in what wasn't spoken of in the other three. Right? So the, these, these letters, if you could imagine, John literally was looked at as, I mean, he, was, he had so much influence. People wondered if he, was ever, if he would die. 
Domitian, literally the Caesar of the day, had him boiled in oil, tried to, tried to get rid of him, couldn't kill him, exiled him on the island of Patmos, right? He was released and he goes back to Ephesus. A lot of people, I mean, John would be considered, he was the last one to be with Jesus that was alive. So these letters, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Revelation, they carried a lot of weight. It's real interesting that in these last letters, it talks a lot about the life of God. I wonder if maybe God wants us to understand some things about the life of God, right? Hallelujah. So John is saying, basically this is, this is just kind of an overview. He's saying, here is what you need to know about my experience with Jesus. My time with him. This is what you need to know about the life of God and the things that we've been given because of his crucifixion and resurrection. And oh, by the way, Revelation is going to tell you a little bit about what's going to happen too. But I'm telling you, these four, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, say a lot about, literally a lot about the life of God. So John, in his life, he had a lot of governmental enemies. Domitian, the Caesar of the day, hated him. A lot of governmental leaders hated him because he was revered by the people. And they didn't want to share that with him. Right? And, and it's amazing in his, writer, in his writings, he never, he, never even mag, he never magnifies himself at all. It's really the humility of this man was amazing. So John knew something about the life of God that literally prolonged his life. And it, and it literally created a situation in his life. Like the island of Patmos, Jeanette and I have been there. And uh, it is told that when John, when he was on the, on the island of Patmos, there were churches started, there was many people that he had led to Christ. And when they left, they, were, they really were like, he had started all this ministry on the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos, it was, a, it was considered, it was a jail for uh, political prisoners, basically. People that were coming against Rome or whatever. And, and John was put in that class. But it created a situation for him to share the gospel that was very profound. It was, it was possibly more powerful than any, any other person of his day. So let's go to 1 John chapter 3. You guys doing okay? Teaching a little bit. I feel like running, yelling, preaching. But we flow with what the Lord wants. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 I'm telling you, hear these scriptures and meditate on them. Take some of these home with you and meditate on them and revelation will flow of the life of God. It'll help you lay hold of healing. It'll help you walk in just a, a it, it, you just walk in a, in a depth and you'll see things, you'll see life differently. First John chapter three, verse 14 says this, we know that we have passed from death, look at this, unto life, because we love the brethren, he that loves not his brother 
abides in death. So how do you really know that you possess the love of God? You've got to love your brothers and sisters. That's how you'll know. Wow. So I wonder if if somehow the enemy is going to try to divide you from your brothers and sisters. I wonder if you'll ever have a situation in a church or in ministry or with other Christians that maybe where you get rubbed the wrong way. I wonder if the enemy is going to try to do that. Absolutely, right? So John is saying here, this is what you need to know. You need to know that you've passed from death to life. And you know it because you love the brother, the brethren. Most, most people are up to here with their life. And it's all about them, right? It's, it's, it, that, has, that, that has to cease in our lives. Let's jump back to John chapter 10 and verse 1. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit tonight because I want to, I want to kind of, we're kind of building this definition. John chapter 10 and verse 1, it says this. We're, we're, what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of go through some of the verses leading up to John 10.10. 10. John 10.1 10, says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entered not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up another way, the same is a thief and a robber. So now this is leading up to John 10.10. Jesus right now is contrasting himself with Satan. Okay? Satan intruded into creation that he had nothing to do with. Jesus came legally. He took upon himself he took upon himself flesh. Satan didn't do that. He operated as an outlaw and stole the authority. Right? <laughs> we see that going on a lot today, don't we? Why is that? It's because he's still doing the same thing. And he uses people like puppets. Satan stole the authority from Adam and Eve. So now let's look at it. John chapter 10, verse 2. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, so when you look at creation... Jesus came into humanity legally. Satan operated illegally. So now let's jump to verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, notice all the verily, verilys here. This is really strong. Can't get any stronger in the Greek. He's like, now listen, most assuredly, get this. Right? This is what Jesus is saying. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. See, Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the door. Right? Does that make sense? So let's keep going. Now if you jump down to verse 10, he says this again. The thief comes not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy in the same context, but I have come that they might have life. In other words, Satan came illegally as an outlaw, and he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came into this earth realm legally, and I came here legally, so I have a legal right to give you the very life of God. That, you know, you've heard me say this, and, and I'm sure I heard this from somebody, I don't remember who, but it, John 10.10 10 is the dividing line of the Bible. And we are so confused today because we think, well, you know, we hear from pulpits that, you know, God could use sickness or disease to teach you something, and maybe it's his will. But no, no, if it steals from you, if it kills, if it destroys it's not from God. James chapter 1 even says, every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, the gifts from God are good and perfect and they are for everyone. So God would never put sickness on you. You can't even show me where he gets sickness. Right? Right? So if you have any symptoms in your body, I've got great news for you. Jesus already bore it so you don't have to, and these symptoms are illegal. They have no legal right in your body. And if you'll just believe that and stand on that, believe that in your heart and speak the word of God over yourself, the word of God will drive out all sickness, all disease, all weakness, and will change your circumstance. That's Bible. So if it steals, kills, and destroys, it's from the enemy. If it gives you the God quality of life, it's from God. Very simple. So now, let's jump back. We're in this story. Let's jump back and look at a picture real quick. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Let's look at a picture of where this all happened the first time it all happened. Genesis 2, verse 7. I want you to see something here because this will parallel literally how God created man and you're going to also see a New Testament scripture where Jesus did the same thing. To be honest with you, I believe Genesis 2, 7, I believed who did this was Jesus. So let's look at this. It says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath. This is the Hebrew word for spirit of life. And man became a living soul. That's how he created Adam. Isn't that amazing? He created everything else by speaking it, but, but man, he actually took, and I heard an Oxford professor, three PhDs, or I don't even know how many PhDs this guy had, 
He was one of the world's leading evolutionists in the 70s. And I, I went and saw him in the early 80s. He was born again, what he was doing. He was a leading evolutionist, and it always bothered him because he couldn't put scientific theory to evolution. So he just had a thought one day, no, it was from the Holy Ghost, that told him, why don't you put scientific law to creation and see if it works? And, and as a young man, I think I was 18, 19 years old, this guy was explaining how God could make man's body out of dirt. Wow, right? But that's what God did. He made man's body out of dirt. And then what he did is he took something of himself and he breathed into man his spirit. And now, so, so if God took something of himself and created man, wow. Right? Now, if you look at, you don't have to turn there, just stay in Genesis for right now. But in John chapter 20, in verse 21 and 22, we fast forward. Now Jesus has come out of the grave, right? And here, and he said, then said Jesus to them again. Now he's coming where his disciples are. He goes, peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Aren't you, aren't you glad to know that God, in the same way that the Father sent Jesus to this earth at that time, Jesus is now sending you and I for this time. Don't be afraid of this time you're living in. You and I are made for it. God is placed within each of us. There's strengths, there's abilities, there's anointings. That's end time. We're like special forces guys, right? There's stuff in you. Don't ever look in the mirror and think you see what, who you really are. If you want to see who you really are, you have to look in this mirror. Because this is the mirror that will show you that. So in this it says here, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Ghost. Now, we know that wasn't the baptism in the Holy Ghost because that happened at the day of Pentecost, right? After he went to heaven 40 days later. So we know this is when they got saved. This is when they received the very life of God. In the same way, when God breathed into Adam, he received the very life of God. When you received Christ, you received the very life of God. Jesus said, I've come to give you Zoe life. Isn't it? That just, ugh, that just gets you, doesn't it? I'm telling you tonight, you're more than a conqueror. You're victorious in him. And don't let any religion or any person or your past or anything, don't let your failures define anything different. It's time when we know who we are. He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. See, we learn from John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. Jesus, as a spirit, right? Come out of the grave now. Jesus, as a spirit, is breathing 
part of himself into his disciples in the same way that I believe it was Jesus, because Jesus is always the one who carries out the plan, right? He was doing that to Adam. The source of Adam's creation was the Spirit of God himself. That was the source. That's where he became alive. When, when Jesus went to the cross and when the Holy Spirit came in, he filled, he took that old man out that was dead and separated and this new man was made in the righteousness of God. And we have come, we've received the very life, the very nature of Almighty God. See, Adam was a spirit being like God. So how in the world did Adam know what he knew? Did he go to school? Is there any record that he went to school? The Bible said that literally God came up to him, brought every animal to him, and he named all of them. See, learning, right? No offense, Pastor Edwin. Learning, he's a high school teacher, right? Learning, that's, that came after the fall. But Adam didn't learn. Adam discerned. In the same way, okay, you can, you can go to a Bible's college and you could go to seminary and learn this. Have you ever met somebody that they've not discerned any of it, they've just learned it? Yeah. Because you don't see it. As a child of God now, as a born again, you are a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. In the same way, Adam, he was a speaking spirit made in the image and likeness of God. You got to see that. This is very, very important. There must have been something from the spirit of God that affected Adam's intellect. I'm telling you, the life of God in you as you let the life of God dominate you, it will affect your intellect. There is wisdom that will come that you have no idea the capacity that you have as a child of God. Hallelujah. Adam's source of knowledge, his intellect was from his spirit. So Genesis chapter 3, now let's look at the fall here. Verse 6 and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What happened when they took of that fruit and they violated the word of God, which said, don't eat of this one, when they chose to do it, Eve, the Bible says, was deceived. Adam did it eyes wide open. He just chose it. Now, don't get down on Adam too much because if you have any sin in your life, you've chosen it. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. It's just so hard. No, 
No, unless God's a liar. We, we, we don't get pushed into it. We choose it. And if you slow everything down, you're choosing it. And I'm here to tell you tonight, Satan doesn't want you to know this, but you don't have to. God said that literally Romans chapter 6, sin will not have dominion over you. Right? Why does, why does sin have dominion over a Christian? Because they're choosing. They choose it. Right? Why are they doing that? Because they probably don't have a revelation of the life of God and who they really are in him. And this is why we teach these things. Boy, as you embrace this, it'll help you. So what happened right here was the life of God departed from them. Right? Why did Adam do this? I think there's a real good chance. See, if you would have went in the Garden of Eden, you, you wouldn't have saw their naked bodies. They were clothed in light. The glory of God was all over. It, it came out of their spirits. Right? What, I mean, the Mount of Transfiguration was a great example where Jesus was transfigured in front of them. What was on the inside shown on the outside. The Bible, it says of that, of that story that, that literally Jesus became brighter than the sun. But what happened when Eve, it says she took of the tree and ate. Her light would have went out. Adam would have looked at her and went, oh my goodness. She's not like me anymore. And I believe Adam did. Now this is my opinion. I believe Adam chose Eve over God. And he said, I'm going to eat of the fruit because I, I want to be with her. Have you ever done that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's look at Romans chapter 5. So the life of God went out in them. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says this. It explains what happened. It says, wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death came into the world by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It goes on in verse 17, it says this, for if by one man's offense, death reigned. Whose offense? Adam's offense. By one. So death had full and superior dominion because of Adam's sin. Much more, which means so much more it should not even be compared, they which receive, that means to lay hold of and act upon, the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign, have full and superior dominion in Zoe. Will reign in Zoe by one, Jesus Christ. God's will for you and I is to have full and superior dominion as we walk in the Zoe life of God. Walking in the Zoe life of God will put you in a position of having full and superior dominion. Right? So, so this is all about authority too. Walking in, the, walking in the life of God will, will literally, it will empower you to stand in your authority and not put up with anything Satan's doing in your life or in the life of your family. So important. So now, grace, we've said this before, 
They that receive the abundance of grace. What is that? Grace is a source of power. It's the very ability of God. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And it produces inward strength in you. Right? Grace is God doing for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. Grace is a divine deposit of the ability of God in a person which will produce outward manifestations in your life, in your life, in your day-to-day life of God's ability. That's why Daniel 11.32 says, hey, they that know their God will be bold and do exploits, things beyond their own ability. So now let's jump back to the Gospel of John again. Let's look at John 1.1. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That means the Word was pros. It was face to face with God. I love showing what this means. Would you like to help me show what this means, sweetie? Pros means face to face. So that literally means that in the beginning was the Word. So let's say I'm Jesus, I'm the Word, and the Word was face-to-face with God. In other words, now we go a little bit further, and we do that, but face-to-face, Jesus' eyes were fixed on God. God's eyes were fixed on Jesus. Thank you, sweetheart. How does, what does Hebrews chapter 12 tell us to do? As we run our, run our race, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We are to be face-to-face. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was face-to-face with God, and the Word was God. In other words, you can never separate God from His Word. You should never be able to separate God's children from God's Word. Right? There's a principle there. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Look at this. Verse 4 is what I want you to see. In him was life. That's the Greek word zoe. In Jesus was the life of God, and that life, and the life was what? It was the light of men. That's a little vague in English, but that word light means development. And the life of God, the Zoe life of God, was the development of men. The life of God, in other words, develops us. This is so important. Now, if you do a little study, every revolution whether it be an intellectual revolution, whether it be a technical revolution, whether it be a renaissance of art and creativity revolution, everyone in history always came one generation after that they heard of the life of God through the word of God. Everyone. So I took a couple of them. The German Renaissance was had happened one generation after Martin Luther. Right? The England's industrial revolution took place one generation after the Wesley and the Whitfield revivals. It's really amazing. 
There's never been a heathen nation ever in all of history that has produced any great creative work or invention. There's not, we don't have any, any recollection of that. In other words, this literally there's a historical precedent set. Man's creativity is greatly and directly impacted by men receiving the life of God. That's in the natural. Well, as we're studying this, that's why I'm saying creativity. This is why as you fix your eyes on Jesus, as you meditate in his word, all things are possible to him who believes. How does God make a way where there is no way? God will show you that way. He'll open doors that no man can shut. He'll make crooked places straight. Right? I love that. So in Daniel, there's an example in Daniel chapter 1, and you could read this later. For time's sake, I don't want to go through all this. But the Babylonian Empire, they took the children of Israel captive. Right? And so Daniel, there were four Hebrew children. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these, what they would do is the Babylonians, they would put them in training for three years. And they would literally teach them everything about the culture of Babylon and and all this stuff. And and what they were going to do is they were going to put them as leaders over this conquered people that were in captivity. Because they figured, the Babylonians figured, you know, the Jewish people will like these guys and they're not going to rebel against their own. So for three years, it was an intensive study program. And at the end of three years, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, would come and he would test them and see who the the cream of the crop was and then they would be divided. They would be given authority. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they go in and start this training, they're they're with the elite, and so they, they, they were treated very well. And they were given the king's food, which was the best food. But the problem was, it violated the law of Moses. So this food, they had a choice. Do I embrace the world? Or do I stand for the word of God and apply it to my life and be a doer of it? They chose to do that. And so Daniel went to the guy over this, the head of this this whole teaching thing, and he said, listen, we can't eat the king's food because it violates our law, or at the time, the word of God. And this, this eunuch is like, listen, you have to eat the king's food because if the king comes and you're thinner than everybody else, it's gonna be my head. Daniel goes, well, let's just test this out for a few months. And if you see that we're not good, then, then we'll do what you say. Well, at the end of that period of time, the children of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they looked healthier than the other ones. So this eunuch's like, yeah, do whatever you want. So in other words, they chose to stand for the word of God and to be a doer of it versus embracing what the world was trying to do. At the end of three years, now these are not born-again men. They're not born again. At the end of three years, 
when they were tested by the king, the Bible says they, they walked in ten times the wisdom of any of the king's court. Ten times the wisdom. See, what I'm saying here, you know, the word of God gave them the ability that no one else had. In the same way, the word of God is to give the church ability right now, is to give you and I ability in our day-to-day lives, in our ministries, in our relationships. This is who we are, guys. And this needs to be preached. Hallelujah. We don't see these results today. Why? We have, we have been given 2,000 years of new covenant revelation. We are not servants of God. We're, we're literally, we have the life of God in us. How much more should we be walking in? But why don't we? Because we don't believe it and mix faith with it so that we're speaking it. Why don't we do that? Because we're distracted. We're living for ourselves. We lack commitment because we're distracted by the things of this world. How many Christians have spent 10 times watching the news and and getting on the internet and watching all this stuff and, and all these things and they haven't spent any time in the word. And I'm here to tell you, this, the word is what's going to get us over. It's going to get us over. John 6.63 says this, It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Hebrews tells us that the word of God is full of life, and power. In other words, it's full of zoe and power. God's word is. Do you know how powerful it is when you sit there, you're, you, you have symptoms in your body, you have a diagnosis, you're going through things, and you're, stand, you're sitting, laying, whatever, and you're going, Father, I thank you that you sent your word. It is written. You sent your word and healed me. It is written in Galatians chapter 3 that Jesus Christ himself, past tense, redeemed me from the curse of sickness and disease. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the word of God to drive out these things. The life of God is put into practice or applied in your life Through God's word. Let me say that again. The life of God is put into practice. It is applied. How? Through the word of God. In other words, the word of God is the life of God in application. This is so big. So big. It's so big, but we're going to have to stop there. I think I've given you enough tonight. We're going to go into this. I know there's some of you sitting here going, no, 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 I'm I'm just really. (laughs) But we're going to get into the life of God. I want, you know, expect, expect big changes to happen in your life. Expect 
who you really are to emerge in your life. God is for you. So much of living under the uh, shadow of the Almighty, that is living in the life of God, speaking the word of God, walking in the authority of God, walking in the strength of God, and walking in the love of God by the faith of God. Everything is his. My life has been tucked away with Christ in God. Nothing can separate you. Isn't that good news? So you're not going to be free. The Bible says whoever the Son has made free is right now indeed free. So don't buy what you're seeing. Don't buy the natural things you're seeing in your life. Listen, you're free. So start declaring your freedom and see all these circumstances change in your life. Because 1 John even tells us, listen, whoever's born of God overcomes the world. Amen?